Hello, I'm Frida Morrison, and you, you find me out in my park, in my field. I'll look at my wee widdy. I often wander doing ruin my parks, and I can't help but think about the generations of folk that have worked this grun to produce food. Generations that cleared the parks here of boulders and built them into the one bonny drysteen wires that separate my parks from the widdy. It's a history of steam. And the folk that built them had amazing skills and knowledge. They kent for the sun was at its best at, at fit time of the day and fit that bit of park up there could grow in the spring and every other season forby. Skills that have vanished out of the years as the horse gave way to mechanisation and less and less folk were needed to work here, nothing changed. I mind meeting an author called Wendell Berry and I was privileged to, to be a guest at the Kansas Prairie Festival a few years ago now. And Wendell gave me a book he's written card, What Are People For? Now that had a big impact on me, I on years ago. In my days as a farming journalist, I mind reporting on the new government scheme called Set-Aside, a system introduced to set aside acres to Maguay for mere environmental margins ruined parks. Well, of course, Abdi was pleased to welcome the new environmental system that would cut down grain production, and we were producing ore much at that time, and it meant we could create bonny places for wildlife. So it wasn't that obvious, but it gradually became obvious, was the less land you needed to cultivate meant, of course, the less labour force was needed for agriculture. Right? fit are people for. And that's part of the theme we'll be thinking and speaking about in this episode, the balance of producing food to feed the nation and regeneration, wild places for wildlife. And of course, we'll hear chosen tracks of music to follow us through the banter. So mourn with me up the park, out of the path, and into the virtual studios. And we wander to the lovely soon of smart pipes and a set of strathspeys and reels for a new CD for Breeze Campbell, Ross Ainsley, and Stephen Burns Haberman. It's a CD card alas. Welcome to Scots Radio.
lovely music for a new CD card last featuring Breeze Campbell, Ross Ainsley and Stephen Burns Haberlin. Cracking CD that. Well, into our virtual nukes and crannies we gang to welcome Abdi. I'm still Frida Morrison and let me introduce our companions in this episode. We have three special guests this programme. Introduction in a minute. First, hello to our soon sorter, Richie Werner. Richie, you okay? I'm good. Hi, hi everybody. How are we doing? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. Anything happening in your, your family this well, week? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Kids are back to school, and that is always oh, yeah. an exciting thing. My youngest started primary one. And what I really like about our school, it's Lauren Primary, is you can literally travel the world in that little place in a little bubble of culture because everybody's there. So last night, for example, we spent some time in the pleasant company of a Hindi family celebrating their wee girl's fifth birthday and this morning i discovered that we've got lots of ukrainian children have joined the school so it's just, just wonderful it's a wonderful melting That's pot just so. a lovely piece of news there you go. and in embra suburbs or master of the archives and other things the man who that kens far kens far past curator of embra botanics and new vice chair of the national trust for scotland and our esteemed team member come in david mitchell Ah, I fear. How are you doing? Oh, I think I'm doing fine. It's a bonny sunny morning. Ah, I got a quick question for you. Is the Rowan Berry stunning read with you yet? Aye, why? No, I just wonder. They are here. I thought you being further north, they might know me, you know. I don't care. No, they turn bonny and uh, read just about this time of year. Just, I think it's, it's autumn. It's the start of the autumn. That, that the wee door opens into the autumn moment, and then next time you look ruined, it's winter again. Oh, um, we yeah, still didn't be talking about winter yet. Come on. It is. It's just a start. Santa's still a wee while away, you know. I suppose. <laughs> Shall we get on about Santa next, didn't he? <laughs> I love Christmas. It is a wonderful Christmas. I didn't mention that word, so I didn't oh, say dear. it. And it gives me great pleasure to at last welcome to the studio and the programme, founder and director of the Scottish Food Guide, cookery show presenter, food writer, campaigner of local produce, and she leads Scotland's slow food arc a taste and co-founded the Scottish Bread Championship in 2017. Welcome, Wendy Barry. Good morning to you. It's great to be uh, here, Frida. Oh, I'm just so delighted you're there. We planned this for ages, it seems years. <laughs> and of course, you're with Busa, your partner. And, uh, welcome to Busa. It's grand to have you here as well, Busa. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, pleasant to be and, here. And uh, I, I presume that Richie's being nice to you and giving you lovely coffee, oh, I'm do sure. Best, do my best. He's doing his best. Uh. And you've just published a remarkable book called Meadows, the Swedish Farmer and the Scottish Cook, which includes some of Wendy's amazing recipes. So, Wendy, congratulations on your new book. It has taken both myself and Dave Mitchell days, days of phone calls back and forth with him saying, have you read this bit? And me saying, I but fit about that bit. And Dave says, this is more than a book. It's stories and recipes. Dave, you've enjoyed it, haven't you? Oh, I, I think this is a wonderful book. It, it, it's a blend of twa cultures, but it also represents twa lives lived and balanced with the land, just mm-hmm. get, taking the right amount for it and gaining everything back. It's full of inspiration, you know. It, it, it's full of experience about how to look after your soil and how to look after your beasts and, you know, how to manage your crops and, it's also got a lot of things in it that I think has been learnt for our forefathers. You know, finding and managing the land in a sustainable way, is, it's not an easy thing. It's difficult to achieve, but if you do achieve it, it's often rewarding. I mean, to me, this book deserves to be a, a lot better known, you know. It really is very, very special. And as you said, there's recipes in it. And I'm just dying to get on Rancher's Eggs a go this Sunday <laughs> for my brunch with wholemeal bread and some nice coffee. Uh, that just sounds like a nice way for Easter Sunday. It is a well-known fact that we are foodies in this programme, Wendy Abusa, <laughs> so be prepared. No, and not only have we two guests in the studio, our third guest is joining us online, Faye Fishy, Executive Director of Scotland, the big picture organisation dedicated to rewilding large parts of Scotland. Welcome, Pete Cairns. Are you there, Pete? I'm here, Frida. Good morning to you. And is it a bonny sunny morning with you? It was about five minutes ago, but typically for the Cairngorms, it no longer is. But yeah, it's funny that David was talking about the, the, the round berries because ours are really, really glowing at the moment. Very early, but really, really vibrant. It's vibrant. Yeah, everybody keeps asking, are there more berries this year than last year? And does that mean we're going to hear a hard winter? Fitch your, your answer to that, Dave. Fitch your feeling about that. 
Ach, I can feed it. I've been here and that for 60 years. The berries are read, the berries come and go. Whether you get a hard winter after a lot of berries or not, I, I'm never sure of that. My biggest concern is that the birds don't eat them all at once. And when they come early, if the birds eat them early, then they haven't got that food supply in the winter. That's so good. I don't like to see them coming too early. That's, that's good. Hard winter, well, maybe. Mm. A good dose of frost never did anybody on a herm. Mm. Pete, you have a, a big conference scheduled for, for later. We have a lot to speak about. This is a conversation among us ah, that I think needs to be thought about carefully. So, to give us time to draw a breath, here's a track for a band I first heard at the, the Belladrum Tartan Heart Festival, a band for Lewis that totally connected with the audience, a fabulous band, and they, they record in the wee studio in Stornoway. This is Tumbling Souls with a song called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Don't be afraid of the dark I'll meet you at the end of the road And you keep a light on our whistle A sweet song Don't be afraid of the dark I'll start the same way Hoping I can stay Maybe a gale will come And the ferry won't sail My worries for a time slip away Three more nights I'll be home to their loving arms Don't be afraid of the dark I'll meet you at the end of the road And you keep a light on a whistle My sweet song Don't be afraid of the dark I got bills to pay Fifty hours in the kitchen Was a much harder way But when I'm far from you When the world is cold to me I think of home And my worries slip away and Three more nights I'll be home to their loving arms Don't be afraid of the dark I'll meet you at the end of the road And you keep a light on our whistle A sweet song, don't be afraid of the dark I'll meet you at the end of the road You keep a light on our whistle A sweet song, don't be afraid of the dark Don't be afraid of the dark I'll meet you at the end of the road You keep a light Afraid of the dark. <laughs> the island of Lewis, a band card, the tumbling souls, where a song card, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And I'm not going to make any reference to the price of electricity. I'll move quickly on. <laughs> now, as I said earlier, we have a conversation about to begin about regeneration. We have the executive director of Scotland, the big picture, poised to tell us about his organisation that is dedicated to regenerating large parts of Scotland and about to stage their first big conference in Perth. We have renowned cook, presenter, writer, campaigner of local food, and the person that leads the Scotland Slow Food Arcade Taste, Wendy Barry, and with Wendy partner, Busa, together just published their new book, Meadows, the Swedish Farmer and the Scottish Cook. And it's about many things, including, you know, food production, regenerative food production, and recipes. We begin with the big picture and yourself, Pete. Let me begin with this quote from yourself, and this will set the scene. You say, seeing the big picture enables us to think and work in a new way. Confining our ambition to protecting the fragments and threads of nature we have left is no longer enough. We need to think beyond the tiny green boxes that are our nature reserves and protected areas. 
and stretch our imagination as to what else is possible. With a change in mindset, amazing things can happen. A lovely quote, Pete. Okay, what is the big picture, Pete? Well, we're, we're a young charity. We've been around for about five years, although the core group, the core element of the team has, has worked in the rewilding space for, for about 15 to 20 years. Our mission is to drive the recovery of nature across Scotland through rewilding in response to the growing climate and, and biodiversity crises. But I'll just go back, if you don't mind, Frieda, just, just set the scene so, so we know where the starting point for this is. There's no sugar coating this, but you know, Scotland as part of the UK is one of the most nature depleted countries in the world. Ten years ago, there was a a big sort of research program looking at the biodiversity intactness, the completeness of nature, if you like, of 218 countries worldwide. And the UK came in at 189, and Scotland only marginally better than the rest of the UK. You know, we're in a situation where we're one of the wealthiest and best educated countries in the world, and yet somehow, as I say, we've become one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world. So, you know, there's a real case for restoration and recovery and not just protection or conservation of, of the, the as, you, as you say, the fragments and threads of nature that we have left. So our, our mission really is to arrest and then reverse that process of ecological decline. You, you mentioned a change in mindset. How would you do it? How do you, how do you reverse that decline, though? And one easy statement, I know it's not easy, but what's your plan? Yeah, I mean, it isn't easy. I draw an analogy with, with rewilding, with, with other sort of social trends in society, social changes, things like racism or gender equality. You know, these things take 20, 30, 40 years to embed themselves in our psyche. And, and rewilding is no different. It's about a new relationship, a reimagined relationship with nature. And you don't just click your fingers and make that happen. It's a process of an ongoing sort of evolving ideology or philosophy, if you like. Dave, I know you want to come in here with, with your questions. How do you view this this situation? We're on that balance, aren't we? We're on a balance, but we've also got a massive opportunity to change the mindset as Peter spoke about, we've got the opportunity to take the road less travelled. You know, sadly, at my age, in my early 60s, I doubt if I will see the result of the change. But if we don't act now, we won't achieve it. But and I would like to think that my grandchildren and others would, would see that change. But in the back of my mind, I wanted to ask Pete, how does he think we can get a better balance between the needs of wildlife, a nature-based economy, and the ever-increasing impact of mass tourism? I mean, we're a small country, very intense species, lots of people around. But how do we juggle those three things? The demand for people to come and use the land, the demand for people to benefit from the land economically, and at the same time, the need to protect the wildlife, which actually is part of the reason why people want to come to Scotland. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And, and these are challenges. We, we have multi-challenges, the demands of people. And, and I would just add, by the way, just while, I, while it's in my head, that, you know, rewilding has, has this, this sort of reputation of, of being a, a equivalent of de-peopling, echoes of the clearances, perhaps. And I need to make that point, really. Rewilding does not mean de-peopling at all. It, it, it certainly never has within the, the community that I work. But putting that aside, you, you're absolutely right, David. We have the demands of, of people and, and their social and economic needs uh, and their food needs as much as anything else. Mm -hmm. um, we have the demands of a, of a growing climate breakdown crisis and, and a global biodiversity crisis. These are, these are existential challenges. And then in amongst that, you've got things like, as you say, growing growing amount of, of people driving the roads of Scotland, walking the paths of Scotland, and arguably, in some people's view, impacting negatively on wildlife. Th there is no easy answer. There is no one answer. And of course, everybody has their version of, of, of the answer. We've got to, I think, be pragmatic. We've got to accept compromise. We've got to blend these various demands on land use more imaginatively, perhaps, than we have done in the past. We have this very sort of binary culture where it has to be one thing or the other. It has to be forestry, or it has to be farming, or it has to be rewilding, or it has to be urban, or, or whatever it is. And I think we've just got to get more imaginative and more creative about blending those physical land uses, but also blending the philosophy around them and how we can extract the most 
from any given parcel of land or, or indeed sea. That's an interesting point because it threw into my mind the word respect. It's about respect for ourselves and what we need, respect for the land and respect for the biodiversity that lives on the land. And I find that part of giving respect is giving each thing its space. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's, you know, it, it's quite a difficult balance to reach. Do you have a sort of single objective or a single target for the charity that you would say, if we could do that by that one thing by 2050, I will feel that we have achieved a really strong start. I think we've already, I, I, when I say we, I don't mean Scotland, the big picture specifically, but as a, as a society, I think we're moving in, in the right direction. There's lots of exciting things happening. I suppose the answer to your question, is there one thing? Well, from, from our point of view, it's more nature. It, it, it's mm -hmm. almost as simple as that. And I think we look upon, we look upon rewilding as a, as a scale. You know, if you imagine it's a scale of one to 10 for the sake of argument, and, and if you imagine that, I don't know, Scotland sits at, say, five for the sake of argument on that scale, our first priority really is to get from five to six. You know, this is not about waking up on Monday morning with, you know, with a carpet of trees everywhere and wolves running amok and all of that. E even if that was desirable, it's not possible. So it's about the, the journey, the process, and, and it's very important for us as an organisation wherever possible, it's not always possible, but wherever possible to take people with us on that journey. So they see the benefits, the people benefits as much as anything of, of a landscape that is richer in nature. So I think, you know, more nature is the headline, but the immediate objective is to move us from where we are somewhere else, somewhere more, more ambitious along the sort of the wildlife recovery scale, if you like, or the nature recovery scale. Thanks. Can I bring Wendy and Bertha into this? But Wendy, uh, Bertha, you're, you're listening to this. Yes. Yeah. What What are your feelings listening to Pete, uh, who's you know describing what they're doing beautifully well? Have you any fears? Uh, does this enthuse you? Does it worry you, or does it uh, make you rejoice in the fact that something's happening? It was very positively received at this table here in Edinburgh, I would have to say, because I think small steps and improvement is what we're after, but in harmony with food production. And I think perhaps a word that we kind of veer more to than the rewilding word is the biodiversity word. You know, we need more biodiversity. Rewilding does tend to conjure up, you know, more of the four-legged, um, whereas, you know, to have more insects, more bees, more butterflies, more ruminants grazing to increase biodiversity is a very, very, very important part of that picture to us. But I'll pass over to Busse. Busse. When you talk about rewilding, I get small red spots on the skin because <laughs> it's... Uh, it's uh, it's a bit more complicated. I think you aim for one thing and you destroy the thing you want. I see here in Scotland, it's planting tree everywhere. It's not the solution to plant tree everywhere. I've been living in the wilderness, real wilderness, for most of my life and had wolves, lynx around me, golden eagles and moose, roe deer and everything. And there must be a balance. Whatever we think about the planet, we are part of it. We are also the solution. Today, we make ourselves to the problem. And I think it has to do with education. And, of course, there are big money who wants more. And that, that's the real big problem, is that we all the time want more money, bigger money. Can I bring Wendy in and try and go back to the, the, the food regeneration idea? Wendy, when we spoke earlier, you were in Sweden. Yes. And you were on your way to uh, a very special festival. Tell us about that. Yes, it was ICAT, an international culture and gastronomy and arts programme based in Spain. And they award a European region of gastronomy. And this year it was uh, Trondheim Trondelag. And so I'd been invited up as a guest to their uh, platform. And they were having a week of events. And there was people from across the world, Saudi Arabia, Finland, Latvia, Croatia, 
Catalonia, all across, they are gathered to see uh, food tourism and local gastronomy. And it was very, very much based on the environment as well, looking at zero waste and biodiversity. And it was fascinating. We drove all the way to the Newcastle Ferry. Off we went in the Mini Cooper, covered with logos, with thistles, all the way. It's quite a nice wee advert for Scotland and for Scottish Food Guide to travel up through the whole of Scandinavia to Trondelag. Beautiful scenery, beautiful nature. And we visited all sorts of food producers from cheesemakers to Aquavie and uh, visited the college as well to see what they're doing with agriculture to make it more environmental. Uh, so they've got a lot of good programmes in Norway and in Scandinavia. They're not perfect, but we can learn a lot from them because if you just always look towards Mediterranean, and of course Italian food is wonderful, but if you keep looking that way, it's not so easy to relate it to what we have in Scotland. Whereas there are things that we have lost in Scotland that they have in Scandinavia and vice versa. They still have shillings. We have zero. We could have shillings. And then there we can create another wonderful layer of food culture, both for the economy, for tourism and for biodiversity. Now, this is where Pete comes back in again. Can we balance <laughs> both things? I mean, you're talking about nature reserves. Are nature reserves just not working? Well, the, the, the system that has existed for 50 years, really, is, is centred on this idea of protecting fragments and threads, islands of nature, if you like, tiny, tiny green boxes, if, if you will. Um, and no, it hasn't worked. I mean, there have been successes. There's no, no question about that. But globally and nationally, we've experienced ongoing declines, ecological declines. So the system isn't working. I, I don't disagree with with anything that, that either Booster or Wendy said at all. And I think rewilding has become, in the popular media at least, synonymous with just wolves and trees. It's all about wolves and trees. That's absolutely not the case. Having said that, uh, it should be borne in mind that, that Scotland is one of the, the most de-wooded countries in the whole of Europe. Our, our mm. native woodland covers just 3% of its natural range. In, in Europe, that equivalent figure is 37%. So trees are a part of this, this discussion, but they're not the only part by any means. Can we balance it all? It, it's not a perfect world. And, and you know, we, we have to, to my mind, we can do better. We can do better in the farmed landscape, we can do better in our towns and cities, and we can do better in the remote corners of the highlands. It's not about rewiring everywhere. It's about doing better for nature recovery. And in doing that, doing better for, for climate and, and for people. So I'm, I'm always hesitant at using the word balance because one person's balance is very different to somebody else's. However, Boos is right, we need to look at balance and we need to be pragmatic and respectful of other people's perspectives or agendas or, or cultural backgrounds, contexts, etc. It's not easy. I, I read so much nonsense on social media in particular about rewilding and it tends to be a very divisive binary choice. You know, landowners are bad, farmers are this, rewilders are this. We have to choose between nature and people. It's us and them. It's town and country. We've got to get better at that, that, that conversation. We've got to recognise that Ironically, what brings us together is, is climate breakdown and global biodiversity loss. These are existential crises. These are not conversations for environmentalists. These are conversations for society as a whole. And, and all of what Wendy and Booster said is, is very, very relevant to this conversation. So I don't think there's any, fundamentally, there's any disagreement here. Just wondering about your publicity, well, the publicity and, and what's seen on, on social media. Are you getting confused, you think, with the green, what's known as the green rush, the, the carbon capture offset plan? I, I hesitate to mention that, but I'll just mention it and no more. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the popular media like a fight. So, so you know, I've got to the stage now where, where if a journalist rings me up and says, you know, I'd, I'd like to talk about rewilding, that my first question is, do you mean wolves? Because if they do, the phone is going down straight away. And I think, you know, again, the, the, this, this term green-led, and it covers a massive spectrum of, of investors in natural capital from, yeah, in, on the one extreme, you've got the sort of red-blooded industrial machines of some of the big corporate organizations that are seen to be swallowing up huge chunks of ground. 
for tree planting or for, for other carbon offset mechanisms. And then at the other extreme, you've got small to medium-sized businesses. And we, we get a lot more of these today than we did even a year ago, approaching us saying, how can we do something to contribute to nature recovery? So to brand all of this investment as just green layeredism, as it were, is, is, is not helpful and it's not realistic. But nevertheless, that investment, that interest in natural capital, it, it does present a potential challenge and it does have an impact potentially on local communities. And certainly some of the companies that we speak to, we make it really apparent that you need to integrate the needs of people, local people, into this plan, whatever that plan might be. And inevitably, some people take that on board and, and others don't. Uh, that, that's a very interesting point, Pete, because it goes back to that word respect. Yeah. Um, and then uh, just listening to what Bosa was saying, and that to me that brought the word understanding. It's about respect and understanding. And then Bosa also mentioned Rachel Carson. And boom, there it mm. came into my mind as it always does. In the silent spring, yeah. yeah. But it wasn't that aspect of Rachel that I was thinking about. It was a, an essay that she wrote called a, a Sense of Wonder. And we all have a sense of wonder in us and we trigger it in different ways, whether it's triggered by nature, whether it's triggered by food, or whether it's triggered by looking at a landscape or looking at something you know that, that's man-made. You know, we, we can look at anything and get that moment that makes us go, wow. And that's what drives our economy. It's the wows, whether we eat it, taste it, see it, use it, buy it, or grow it. We get that sense of wonder. And we've lost that sense of wonder about life. And I, I think that that whole message about unraveling these threads, pulling them together, is just to reconnect people with... We say reconnect people with nature. We talk about rewilding. It's, to me, it's, it's deeper than that. It's finding that sense of wonder in life again. I mean, we are what we eat. Every glass of water you have has, is rain. It's the rivers that flow through our body. Every salad that you eat is minerals that's growing in the soil. We ourselves are part of the ecosystem, and we've got a bigger disconnect than we've ever had now. And, you know, I, I really believe that if we can reawaken that sense of wonder in life and how we live it and how we use it, we'll go a long way to solving a lot of these problems. I, I absolutely agree, David. And, and, and those will know better than I about that, that, that greater sense of connection that, you know, I've traveled quite a lot in Scandinavia. There is a greater sense of connection. Ditto the Baltic countries. Um, and you're absolutely yeah. right. Spiritually, physically, psychologically, ideologically, we have lost that to a, to a certain degree. And yet when you take people that you know have lost it into an environment and you expose them to it, they come alive mm. in a different way. And you'll have seen that so yeah, often. Absolutely. Back to the conference, Pete. I think we need to give people some information about this. I hope that we've uh, regenerated interest in wildlife enough to make people want to hear more about this and maybe join you at the conference in Perth. Now, uh, more information can be found on your website, the conference, just correct me if I get any of this wrong, please. Conference on the 24th of September, Perth Concert Hall. More information on your website, Scotland Big Picture, all one word, scotlandbigpicture.com forward slash seeing the big picture. Is all of that correct, Pete? Have I got it all uh, right? Apart from the last bit, but yeah, if you go onto our website and have a rummage round, you'll find the big picture conference and, and all the dates and locations are, are absolutely correct, Freda. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, that's fantastic. Right, <laughs> it's time for a new song from Tidelines, in fact. Appropriate, this is Light on the River. I can't play a love song Like I told you that I could in days gone by And you tired but you're still strong as you turn through all the pages of old photographs You smile and then you sigh And you see diamonds, an ocean full of islands A forest deep and silent, a moonlight shining bright If I tell you that I'll be yours forever Can we run home together like rivers? can't sing a love song Though I told 
you that I could when we were young Feels like it's been so long Just waiting for the moment when our cynicism dies and hope returns And you'll see diamonds, an ocean full of islands A forest deep inside A new song from Tidelines. It's beautiful. So from regenerating the Scottish countryside to regenerative food production. And we are joined with Wendy Barry and the Swedish farmer, Gursa. And Wendy, as I said, you're a renowned cook, founder and director of the Scottish Food Guide, amongst many other things. Before we go into your book, you, you lead Scotland's slow food arc of taste. Can you explain what that is? Yes, the Ark of Taste I see as a, a virtual vessel. It's um, a website, part of the Slow Food International movement, to put down a marker, lay down a marker for heritage foods in your country. So it's a, a labour of love, finding, digging around, rooting about to find those heritage foods that are a little bit endangered. Now, it might be that they're getting rare, nobody's growing them, or it might be that they've been buried under ultra-processed, homogenised versions you know <laughs> and and actually nobody realizes that actually the real deal there is that you know there is actually an old version classic example you get black pudding everywhere but there's only two or three butchers in the entire country that make it with fresh blood and if you make it with dried blood then the blood is just an imported commodity from whoever's selling it at the time china holland whatever nothing wrong with it but let's be transparent um, so that's a classic example. At the other end of the scale, you've got things like the Shetland Kai, lovely old breed of, of cow, rare on the Rare Breed Survival Trust endangered list. And there's a few producers very interested in biodiversity who are supporting that native Shetland Kai breed. So it's got a real range from apple varieties through to animals and everything in between. It's, it's fabulous. And um, into your book, uh, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll just repeat the, the title. It's The Meadows, The Swedish Farmer and The Scottish Cook. Can I just mention some of the chapters, a huge amount of chapters, and just give people a flavour. And they, please feel free to come in on this because I know you'll be interested in Everybody's interested in what Wendy's cooking. Uh, I can verify that she is a brilliant cook, having been in her kitchen. You are kind. <laughs> what What did we make? Was it Was it a Christmas special? Or we did a Christmas trifle one time, and we had we had a bunny stovies another time. <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember the bunny stovies. <laughs> Have you got the bunny stovies recipe in the book? Not as stovies, but bunnies are in there. <laughs> Of course. So you've got, you've got healthy soils and you've got food tourism, which we've mentioned, 
and the alchemy of cheese. I know that's a subject near and dear to your heart as well. Yes, I've Scottish Food Guide and Scottish Cheese Trail are 20 years old this year. I don't know where the time's gone. Cheese is something that I'm particularly uh, drawn to. And, and I married a, a former dairy farmer, so he's very into his cheese and his dairy as well. Um, and when we go to places like Norway, I'm chatting up every chef at every hotel to look after my little stash of cheese till I move on <laughs> to the next place. So, you know, travelling around Scandinavia, by the time you get back to base camp, you've got an entire cooler box of cheeses. Um, but we we could delve so much more into cheese. And when people come to our workshops on cheese at Aberdour, we talk about the breed and the feed and what you give the cows and where they are, because that terroir and the breed and the skills of the cheesemaker, they all play such an important part. And people just don't think about that when they think about milk. And, and thankfully, it's growing a little bit now in Scotland. There is more interest and we can buy some unhomogenized milk, although not in five yet. It's not easy in five. Mm. So we wanted to kind of open people's eyes to milk is not just white stuff and not just white water. There's so much more to it and the, f- the flavour of it and and what you can do with it. And indeed, that also ties into doing more with the the animals, the ruminants, you know, the meat, the, the, the skins, the horns, the milk, the meat, everything, you know, not having this beef industry barrens and indoor dairy cattle. But back to your biodiversity. Respect. Respect. I'm, I'm just looking at the recipes. I've just mentioned a few, but they are absolutely gorgeous, as well as the stories from Bruce and his wife as a, a Swedish farmer. You've got recipes in breads and savouries, cakes, bakeries and savouries, clouty dumplings in there as well. Oh, it's got to be in there, hasn't it? Can't have a boot without it. No. Uh, fish. Of course, we love fish, including bohemian fish pie. Tell us about bohemian. Just give us a wee <laughs> flavour of the bohemian fish pie. Well, lovely. because I have, I mean, I I love, you know, Mediterranean food as much as everyone else. But I really wanted to focus on this Northern European. So you won't find a grain of rice or pasta in this book. But I didn't want every recipe to have potatoes, although Busa would eat potatoes morning, noon and night. But I wanted to, you know, stretch it a bit. So I was determined to have in bridies and pastries and scones and bannocks and things that we do well without having to have pastas and rice and noodles. So the idea was to, to have a pastry pie with whatever you happen to have caught. And we have a, a tiny small holding in Sweden with a lake nearby. So it was what, what you catch. And I mean, it's a same you see lads off the pier fishing in Aberdour, so what you catch. That was the idea. And it tied in with a story about Bohemia in the book, because we're not a fan of big multinational fish farms, but there are examples in the world of of good quality biodiverse fish farms, one of which is in the lands in Bohemia. And in fact, you can Google it and find it on YouTube. It's bewitching. And they've kept nature and they're working with nature and farming carp. So it was a play on this part of the chapter about Bohemia and the idea that you can use fish that you wouldn't necessarily think of using and make a delicious fish pie. Can I go back to my my introduction? We're talking about Wendell Berry and his book, What Are People For? Your book is absolutely glorious and, and lovely and Thank full you. of terrific recipes, as we've said. But maybe a lot of people will look at it and say, we cannot afford the contents of that, that recipe. And people are looking for cheaper ways to feed themselves right now. We cannot go past this particular problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, how do we, bal- <laughs> back to that word balance again, how do we balance the idea of sourcing good food from nature and I'll mention the organic word as well. Of course, mm-hmm. um, I read recently that, that there's quite a few farmers wanting to be able to produce food without so much reliance on artificial inputs, Wendy. And we've heard this before, but yes. any other name, organic, it's not on the agendas of most households, unfortunately. But, Bersa, you know, we are at that point of trying to feed a lot of people with very little money. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where do you where do you come in on this? Yeah, and 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 I think Pete's right that we could all do better, and it's small steps if we can do a wee bit better, you know, than than we were or we are. We have been quite uncompromising, taking it to you know where where we feel 
we would like to be. But we would like people to just pick and mix and think, well, I can do that and I can't do that. Or I might like to do a little bit more of this, but that's not in my realm. So it's it's a it's a good read, but it's also a guide. So people can pick out the bits. And what I would say is that I would hope people would try and use what local and Scottish they can. And the idea behind the recipes is that like stovies, like a pie, that you can use ingredients that are nourishing and filling to make a family meal. I use bear barley and pearl barley to make risottos. So they're not Sunday roasts. They are economical recipes that you buy what you can to make them. So so there's nothing ultra processed at all in there. People need more food education. They're not getting this at college, let alone school. And so it's not so easy for people who are lacking the knowledge and lacking kitchen equipment to make the most of things. We have zero waste in our kitchen. It goes into the kitchen garden, tiny kitchen garden, but it goes in there. But then you have to have a garden to do that. So if you're in a multi-rise, it's not so easy to do that. And we often buy a half or a whole sheep and then use every single part of it. Oh, my grand used to do that. Um, yeah. And you yeah. save a lot of money, but you have to be able to have a, a wee chest freezer mm-hmm. and a bit of skill and a clean saw to do that. So education is very much part of that too. Pete, I'm going to bring you in here to Here we have a unique collection, a farmer, a cook, a rewilder, and a gardener, INA programme. <laughs> you are saying we need to think in a new way. Right, here's a big question. What are the steps that need to be taken? Let's go over the steps again so that everybody's clear. Are we actually all agreeing that steps need to be taken first? I think we're all right. Yes. Sit are they? Pete, you first. Well, I'm going to put the spanner in the works here and 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 first of all try and dispel <laughs> this this these tribal labels that you use in here Frida so you, you know <laughs> I, I you know I, I don't really know what a rewilder is I, I don't really know what a you know a conservationist is there's a massive spectrum of of, of opinion and perspectives across every sort of cultural and, and social sector so uh, you know i'd start off by saying what as people what as a society what as a species even steps do, do we need to take i think probably one of the words that's come out of the conversation is the word interconnectedness whether you're talking about soils and microbes within the soils whether you're talking about insects food production herbivores, ungulates, predators, trees, pine martins, pine hoverflies, whatever. This is an interconnected system. And of course, that system very much includes people. If we go right back to the beginning, the, the word education has been has been mentioned in, in relation to food education a, a number of times by Wendy. I would argue that ecological education is also absent, completely absent in, in the curriculum across the whole of the yep, UK. Absolutely. People understand about, I don't know, pandas or tigers or whatever but you know the system the processes the relationships that bind all of those species together including our own species that learning is completely absent you know i I can i can sense wendy's frustration with that and i I share it from an ecological point of view we are a and and dare i say it we're an ecologically illiterate nation we don't understand those processes that link all of these species, including the human species, together. You know, we're all coming at this from a slightly different angle, maybe with a slightly different emphasis, but we're all talking about the system and how do we make the system healthier and more functional. So education has to be a foundation of that process. Wendy, can you speak on behalf of you and Bruce? Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. We we, we are absolutely jumping up and down here. And we get so (laughs) frustrated by Save the Panda when we were quite happy to let our our Scottish pig become extinct. You know, the farm animals don't get a look in on this or these, these small little animals that people think don't don't matter somewhere along the lines. Couldn't agree with you more. That is so much part of it. And we need to get far more education early on in school so that they they're not so disconnected. And unfortunately, quite a lot of the powers that be are thinking about that food's dangerous. You'll be safer eating that. Oh, um yeah. you know uh-huh. it's you can't go and, you know, 
camp with the scouts in that field anymore. There's such a, a health and safety that children are not getting to experience these things. And uh, I tell you, we're, we're on the Fife Coastal Path and we, we, we seem to, for some unknown reason, pick a bank holiday or a midterm or a school holiday to cook the Guga. We've plucked the grey lag geese and we've boiled the stag antlers and, and people come with their children along the Fife Coastal Path and the wee lad looks over the fence and says, Mummy, Mummy, he's got feathers there. And, you know, they're peering over the gate wondering what you're up to. They've never seen it before in oh, their that's life. That's quite important, Wendy, because a lot, a lot of the nature that the kids get, I think, is with their parents, you know, and if they're getting to see a bit of that and ask the questions yeah. whilst you're in the process, that's that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, but, but they need more of it in primary school and, and I think they're quite nervous about doing it with oh, sure. all the health and safety oh, sure. and the messages from a certain body that does food safety in Scotland. Um, <laughs> the bane of the life of all cheesemakers. <laughs> I'll leave that one hanging. Fair. Leave it, leave it, hanging there, Wendy. We'll never get, we'll never get them out of this program. No, I know. Um, but, but steps that need to be taken. I know that Dave's desperate to come in. Hold, hold your fire, Dave. Hold your fire because I need to take a few steps towards music again. This is Fair Band from the island of Lewis, as I said, that I heard at the Belladrum Tartan Heart Festival. This is Tumbling Souls with their album card, appropriate to this programme, Between the Truth and the Dream. This is Wishing My Time. Wishing my time, wishing my time, wishing my time away. We can't see what's coming round the corner. All that we've got is today Nothing very noble going on Inside my tired brain The slates look like blackbirds On the rooftops In the poetry summer rain Whoa, whoa, whoa This is a life I was craving So why am I no, I just the thought comes in And all of a sudden I'm wishing my time away Wishing my time Wishing my time Wishing my time away We can't see what's coming round the corner All that we've got is today Through the streaming window of my hotel room I see fools gold embedded up there And it glistens like costume jewels Whoa, whoa, whoa And I'll take anything you're given And I won't be satisfied No, there's a dark in me Don't you know I sometimes feel I'm wishing my time away In my time away We can't see what's coming around the corner All that we've got is today Wishing my time Wishing my time Wishing my time away We can't see what's coming around the corner All that we've got is today can't see what's coming around the corner. All we've got is today. It's Tumbling Souls from their album Between the Truth and the Dream, a song called Wishing My Time. And the truth and the dream appears as if by magic. Dave Mitchell will round up the day's proceedings, taking his cue from Wendy and Bruce's book, Beddows, and we'll have details about that to follow. David, lead us to the source of the spring, Meadows of the Mind. Well, you know, when you think about meadows of the mind, what I'm thinking about is meadows in literature, meadows in art, meadows in music, 
meadows and poetry across the board. I mean, if you take literature, for example, and you go right back to the writings of Pliny the Younger, you know, 61 to 113, you know, first century, as it were, in a, in a letter to his friend Domitus Apollinaris, he, he says... He's so pleased about the meadows that surround his villa in Tuscany. You know, they're bright with flowers, but he's even more happy about the fact that he has an abundance of trefoil and clover, which he knows is good for the land. If we go further back than that and we go to Cato the Elder and his work De Agriculturare, which was written sometime around probably 200 BC, he writes in that, Manuring meadows at the opening of the spring in the dark of the moon when the west wind begins to blow and you close the dry meadows to stock, clean them and dig up and remove all noxious weeds. He's talking about basic things then that we do now. And there's, you know, looking after the soil, respecting the soil. But if you come forward in time to the Middle Ages and you look at the books of hours that there are, these beautiful illuminated manuscripts, you'll find in the margin painted down the side, flag iris and common poppy and meadow cranes bill. There's also very beautiful illustrations in them of wonderful scenes of haymaking. But, you know, come right bang up to the present day. And you look at the writings of Shirley Mackay and her Hugh Cullen mysteries that are based in the 16th century. There's one of her works, 1588, A Calendar of Crime, and it has a whole book in it which looks at Lamas and what happens in the, the time of year known as Lamas, the festival harvest. But, you know, come into art and you look at the work of Bruegel the Elder. Here's beautiful painting, haymaking, painted in 1565. If you study it detailed, you'll see images in it that are exactly the same as those that are in Bose's and Wendy's book. You know, there's sharpening of scythes, there's raking, there's haymaking, loading carts, there's harvesting fruit and vegetables within a pastoral landscape, a landscape that's managed and respected jump into art in another way and look at Botticelli's La Primavera, you know, where you've got Flora and the Three Graces. Under their feet in that meadow in that painting, there's over 60 different kinds of wildflower. And, you know, if you think about Constable and the Hayway, and everybody knows that, you know, again, there's a harvest scene taking place in a meadow in the back of that. On show in the National Gallery of Scotland at the moment, is a wonderful painting by Claude Monet, which belongs to the Scottish nation, called Haystack's Snow Effect. You know, wherever you look, you know, even Joan Eardley, you know, she painted some wonderful paintings of hayfields around Caterline. There's one in particular called The Cornfield that would give Beethoven a run for his money. If you go down into Galloway, there's all the works that were done by the Fayed family. You know, meadows are in our mind in so many different ways. And when I think about these paintings, right away, Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony comes into mm. my mind. And it was inspired by the wooded meadows near Vienna. And, you know, Henry Purcell's wonderful work, The Fairy Queen, it's got a piece in it called The Dance of the Haymakers. It's just, it's very short, but it's wonderful. And then, I mean, the rippling sounds of stings, Fields of gold, oh, fields where you of see gold, the, yeah. you know, where you see the, the corn dancing in the fields wind. You know, it, it, all of these, you know, mm -hmm. literature, art, music, it, 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 it's filled with it. You know, it, 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 it's wonderful. It's lovely to see. Uh, um, you're talking about that. I'm surrounded by fields of barley at the moment, and that song came immediately to mind earlier on. Now, I kind of like poetry. You're half a fond of poetry. Well, I do. Sit I love poetry. And, well, this was a bit harder to find things that were, because meadows in our mind, meadows in reality, are very much a, a mindset that we, I think, relate to to England and the English countryside. But there are there are quite a few in Scotland. If you look at the Coronation Meadows Project, you'll see them there. But then that made me think John Clare. You've got to go to John Clare. And he, he wrote this beautiful work called The Meadow Grass. A meadow like a waveless sea glows green in many a level ground. A very paradise to me. You know, Keats, Wordsworth, Wilde, Longfellow, they all wrote about meadows. And Adelstrop, 
Who Could Forget Adelstrop by Edward Thomas. I won't read the poem, I'll just give you two or three lines. Yes, I remember Adelstrop. The steam hissed, someone cleared his throat, and willows and willow herb and grass, and meadow sweet and haycocks dry. And for that minute, a blackbird sang. You know, to hear that whole poem read by Geoffrey Palmer is to step back in time. And, you know, Burns, he, he had to have his say, the rigs of barley, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful song sung to the tune of the corn rigs are bonny. And he says in that, the sky was blue and the wind was still and the moon was shining clearly. You know, it, 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 there's just so much there in our heritage. And then I discovered, ah, at last, there it was, a lot of searching. A man, a little known Scottish poet, but someone who in his early years people considered would have been upsides with Burns. Sadly, he died quite young, so his career wasn't as long, but his name is Robert Nicholl, and he was born on a farm in Persia, and he was very gifted. He could read and write from a very young age, and he wrote this wonderful poem called The Making of the Hay. Across the rigs we'll wander, the new mown hay among, and hear the blackbird in the wood, and gay it sang for sang. We'll gay it sang for sang, we will, for Elka Hart is gay, and the lads and lassies trip along at the making of the hay. That poem celebrates man's relationship with nature that we've talked about all through this programme. It talks about his relationship with seasonality. It talks about his relationship with life. And that's that, that I think, what's missing. And, you know, you spoke about Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry, you could fill my bookcase with what Wendell Berry's written. Hugely prolific writer. But in his essay, The Art of Commonplace, he writes, The care of the earth is our most ancient and most worthy, and after all, our most pleasing responsibility to cherish what remains of it and foster its renewal is our only legitimate hope. Listen to Wendell Berry. And listen to Dave Mitchell as well. Dave, thank you for that. As always, a journey into your wonderful world and the wisdom of Dave Mitchell. Thank you, Dave. And that, ladies and gentlemen, takes us to the end of this programme. Details now of Wendy and Bess's new book, Meadows, The Swedish Farmer and the Scottish Cook, published by the Scottish Food Guide. More information for Wendy's Scottish Food Guide website and information on where to locate the book for selected farm shops' website address. www.scottishfoodguide.com www.scottishfoodguide.com and this book is special, as are all my guests and, of course, the team. My thanks to Wendy Barry, Russell Dahlgren and Pete Cairns. We leave you with another track from the new album from Bruce Campbell, Ross Ainsley and Stephen Burns, Haberlin, from their album Lass. From Richie Werner, Dave Mitchell and me, Frieda Morrison, by the news.